Welcome to this week's episode of The Gathering Podcast. This podcast is all about helping you experience the abundant life that Jesus promised. This February, we are exploring an often forgotten people group within churches, especially smaller churches, and that's singles. Last week, we heard Peter Varberg interview Kate Warman, who's the author and host of the Heart of Dating podcast, a podcast focused on helping empower Christian singles navigating dating in today's world. This week, though, we shift gears and hear a powerful testimony in conversation with our very own Janet Baker. Janet lived most of her life single until marrying Greg. You can listen to that great story on our podcast from this same series last year. The link is in the show notes. But today, Janet is going to share about the struggles of being single, especially for so long. She offers a wealth of wisdom to those single today. And this is a must listen for anyone who's single, happens to know a single, or just happens to love Janet. I hope you enjoy. This is your producer, Aaron Sullivan, and we go to Peter and Janet now. I know this podcast is going to come out later, but we did our annual review mm-hmm. and looking over the budget and the different ministries and Janet raised her hand. Is there anything we're going to do about singles? Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to start this podcast, letting you guys know just how much Janet's heart is in this and how, even though she has a long story and journey of what she's been through in her own testimony, being single until she was 61, right? Until she was 61, (laughs) never been married until 61. Mm -hmm. Which would not have comforted me when I was 20 or 30 for someone to say, well, take heart, take heart. It's okay. Janet did it, (laughs) but it's just. I just love that not only has she been through some of the things I think as a single person, oh my goodness, 61, how could I survive? But this is a deep part of her heart, Mm -hmm. and I think God gives us compassion for different things. And it's clear that God's given you compassion and Mm -hmm. heart for singles. So I would love to start off, Janet, just hearing kind of the narrative story of when someone meets you and is, oh, I was never married till 61. I just imagine a flood of questions. Wait, what? How? Just tell me. So Mm -hmm. I'd love to just, if you were sitting down to coffee with a a young girl or, and trying to encourage her in her singleness and sharing your story, like give us that story. So I was born into a very loving marriage and so saw a great foundation for marriage. With your parents, yeah. With my parents and always wanted that. And in fact, we had, they had seven living children and and two miscarriages. And so I just loved growing up in a big family and always mm. thought, okay, I'm, after college, I'll get married and have probably four, five, six kids myself because this was a great way to live. And so my first marriage proposal, I was thinking about this last night, was in Paris across the Seine River from <laughs> the Notre Dame. Wow. And yeah, so... I've been there. That is quite the sight. <laughs> that's quite the sight. And I just thought... Well, now I'm 18. I'm. We're about to go back to the U.S. I had been living a year abroad, so mm. I was a foreign exchange student, and that sounds like a dream, right? Yeah, it does. <laughs> Proposed to in Paris, <laughs> how romantic! And I just said to him, "But I haven't gone to college yet, and I came from Northern California, San Francisco area, where that's just part of what a lot of people do is go to college and then think about marriage and family." But he came from the Midwest, and it's very common for them to be married at 18, yeah. at least in my era. At any rate, that was my first marriage proposal. But through my 20s, I was more focused on college and learning how to be a nurse. And I, I was 
laughing this morning thinking about I had in my 20s, I had 11 bridesmaid dresses hanging in my closet because I went to all my, I was in all of my friends' weddings. Wow. And I was, and that was fine. I was joyful for them because I knew my turn was coming. I thought (laughs) that was my plan, God. And then my 30s happened and I was a maternity nurse and you keep telling women their clock is ticking. And so I just thought, okay, I'm happy to be part of all these deliveries. I was the kind of maternity nurse where I was right there when all the labor was happening and the actual delivery of the baby and full of joy. I remember one in one delivery, the dad was so happy he started clapping and the rest of us started laughing because that was an unusual (laughs) response. There's a lot of joy, but you don't usually hear clapping. He's like, you did it, honey, you did it. He was just so excited to finally hold this baby that he'd been dreaming about for months. And so we all clapped too. And it was just, it's one of my very special, joyful memories of 10 years of being a maternity nurse. But I always got to be part of other people becoming a family, a husband and wife becoming a family, or even unmarried people, but they were becoming a family. And in my 30s, that I, that was fine. I was joyful. But as I got to the later part of my 30s, I just I knew it's high risk for women if they yeah. are getting pregnant in their later 30s and early 40s. And even my OBGYN said to me, you're turning 40. I think you really got to find a man because yeah. I know you love babies. And so even just in my profession, it was hard. It became hard to go to work every day. Wow. And... Just feel like, God, I would go home. I was living by myself at that time. Mm. Uh, Through my single years, I had times where I just needed to live in community with other roommates. Then there was times when all the craziness of that, I just felt, okay, I need to live by myself for a while. But in those years of living by myself, I would go home after an especially joyful delivery or an especially sad when the baby didn't make it. And... Mm. Either way, I just was at the emotional high or low and would go home to four empty walls. Wow. And I just thought, God, what is so wrong with me that doesn't qualify me to become part of a family? Mm. And so those years were hard. And so anyway, then I switched out of maternity nursing and into education and that was very fulfilling but still just always longing for for family so i think it's different i appreciate you giving the background with your family because i think when we look at our culture and our society and even that whole proposal where it's oh he was from the midwest and i totally understand that there's different perspectives on singleness and marriage in our culture Mm -hmm. and i know a lot of people that are very contented in their singleness. Sometimes it's, they don't have an exciting view of a relationship and there's a lot of fear and nervousness around getting married because their experience of marriage Mm -hmm. from their childhood is not something they want. But I think it's interesting that you're on the other end where it's, this is very good. I loved my family. There were seven of us kids and this is all positive, good things that you're not like, oh, marriage is scary. I'd never want to happen what happened to my parents. And again, it's everyone has their own story. But I think for you, I can only imagine that like the longing was there. It Mm -hmm. wasn't a fear. There was no avoidance. It was just Mm -hmm. that desire for it. And although obviously, like you shared, there were other priorities and getting married at 18 didn't quite make sense (laughs) yet. But yeah, so 20s, 30s, 
and now you're getting into your 40s, mm-hmm. I think, in the story. Where, mm-hmm. where does it go from there? I had gotten injured as a maternity nurse in my 30s, and so finally the surgeon that fixed my shoulders said, I'm not going to sign off for you to go back to labor and delivery nursing and go find something else to do. And so that segued me into becoming an educator nurse. And so that role was very different Mm. in that my responsibility was the entire hospital instead of just two maternity patients at a time in a Mm. shift. Or even as a, not a maternity nurse, but say a medical surgical nurse where you have maybe five patients at a time. And so suddenly I had the whole hospital and just to survive, I worked long, long hours. And so I was known at that hospital as being a workaholic. And I said, I'm not a workaholic. Well, you're here all during the day shift and you're here a lot of times during the second evening shift. And I'm like, I'm just trying to survive my job. And so, so it wasn't survive like income wise. It was no. survive get the job done. Get the like job I have done. responsibilities mm-hmm. for this hospital, mm-hmm. and you were just trying to get those responsibilities done, right? And also, along in that era of my forties, the dating possibilities began to narrow down because a lot of men had gotten married. And so, in my forties and into my fifties, I kept thinking I always wanted to be a missionary. I just didn't know how. And so didn't know how to get prepared to do that. I didn't have a team to help me, and this is too big to do by myself. And I just kept supporting other missionaries. But long into my mid-50s, I finally heard about impact school. And so I feel like I just had to make the big decision. I'm my only income at this job that I no longer enjoy because it's sucking the life out of me. Mm. And impact is calling me to a life, the abundant life that Jesus wants for us. And so I made that decision to quit my job and go to impact. And then my goal was to be a missionary nurse. Mm. So that was my goal in my 50s. And I had at one point then as a female in my 50s, I went through menopause. And so then there was just the sadness of I was a maternity nurse. And that was my favorite kind of nursing. And now I can't even have my own children. And so just the life milestones that I had missed out on, engagement, wedding showers, wedding ceremony, honeymoon, buying your first home together, telling my husband that, guess what, honey, we're going to have a baby. I just, all the things that my girlfriends and men friends had gone through, I just never got to. And then it's okay. Now in our 50s, my girlfriends are starting to have grandchildren. And now here's another milestone I'm going to miss out on. And I just began to see things as what I didn't have, although I had so much. just broken up yet again with somebody and my dad almost he went in for knee surgery total knee uh, repair replacement Mm. and I didn't even go up for the surgery because it's so commonplace but then he had severe complications uh, the day after surgery so I in emergency flew up there to Portland and my dad almost passed away he slipped into semi-comatose wow and so I was the only 
single of my brothers and sisters that could stay all night in the hospital. And I remember one night they came and said, you need to call your mom back to the hospital tonight because he'll be dead in the morning. Wow. And I just looked at the doctors and being a nurse for 30 plus years in the hospital, I, I agreed with them. It doesn't look good. But I just said, I can't, I'll call my mother when the sun comes up. And so I said, but I'm not, she needs rest. And so that night my dad stopped breathing so many times and I would have to like give him a painful stimulus just to get him to breathe again. And then I was praying, God, how am I going to live life tomorrow as a single? I've always had my dad. And if you take him from me, he's the only man that's always loved me Mm. and always stayed with me. All the other men have left for one reason or another, or I've left them, but it's never been lifelong. And I knelt down on that cold (laughs) tile floor in that hospital and just said, Lord, if this is why I'm single is to be here at my father's passing so he doesn't pass alone, then so be it. I never would have said being single into my 50s was worth it, but if if I would have been with my family tonight, then your will be done, not my will, but thine be done. I got up from the floor and, and the Lord just said, pray for him. So I taught a lot of Bible studies in years prior to that and been on a lot of prayer teams, and I went and Put my. I couldn't pray. No scripture came to my mind <laughs> as mm. much as I had taught Bible studies. And so I just put my hand on his forehead where he had a stroke and was in a semi-coma. And I just said, brain be healed in Jesus' name. And then every body system down from head to toe, I just named the body system and how it was failing and just said, be healed in Jesus' name. My father woke up the next morning and lived 13 more years. Wow. And so I took my mother on vacations and just had a full life after that. And looking back, I always see that my God used me being single at very critical times that to me felt painful and lonely. But as life moved forward, I could look back and see, oh, if I, because I was single, God you worked through me to meet that other person's needs, you know, in some very powerful ways. And then I finally, like you said, got married at 61. And my parents had both already passed away before I met Greg. But that's kind of like my one wish, God, that Greg had met them and they had met him. But Greg is the love of my life. And just every day is so wonderful being married to him and living in our family. And I've said this, I think, on the other podcast, too, that in one day— at the altar, I got not only a wonderful husband, but three beautiful daughters, a wonderful son-in-law, and two precious grandchildren. So I got everything of the milestones I thought I had missed out on. Wow. I got in one day, and it's just delightful. And some of my friends that got married in their 20s still don't have grandchildren. And so it's just it's humorous how God knows the plan. Yeah. That's so powerful, Janet, how you said that. If I wasn't single, like this thing would, and there's obviously example with your father, but I'm Mm -hmm. sure there were many. And we just, you know, our Bible reading plan finished reading through Genesis right? and the story of Joseph and even that closing statement of what was intended for evil, Mm -hmm. God has used for good. And just looking at Joseph's life where Joseph could have had these other things that he was probably longing for, Mm -hmm. even in... It was two years since they he read the dream of the cupbearer before the cupbearer remembered him right. and talked to Pharaoh about him. 
I don't like two years in prison. It just it's one sentence in the Bible, but I'm sitting there. If I was in prison for two years, I'd be like, Lord, how long? So I just imagine you had those lonely nights, those mm-hmm. empty four walls of your house right. where it was just you. And it's like that longing, but I imagine like on the floor in the hospital with your father, mm-hmm. you realize, oh, this like, is part of it. This is part of it. Mm-hmm. And I know for me, when I went out um, and served with my parents for a year as a missionary, I went through impact and it was like two months after I graduated or a month and a half, I was already leaving the country. Right. I was like, there's no way I could have become a missionary and raised funds and done all that if I was anything other than a single in the stage of life I was. So Mm -hmm. it was like, oh, Lord, like I see how there's purpose for Mm -hmm. this. So I imagine that's a big part of those seasons Mm -hmm. in your life was God almost putting that clarity. I don't know, like that stamp of this is why. This is why. Well, there uh, one story like that. I was reading my Bible one of those days, and I have my Bible open to this. I was reading in Isaiah 61, which the chapter title is the good news of salvation. Mm. And so I'll tell you a little bit the story, and then I'll read the verse where it says, as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. And so I had been, the backstory was that I had bought some very special items for my honeymoon one day. And I wasn't even dating a man when I did that. It was just my best friend was getting married. And as I was helping her with all of her, putting her honeymoon together, I thought, ooh, but this would look good on me. (laughs) So I bought some very expensive things for my honeymoon. And so that was hanging in my closet for a while. And then this event happened where I had to be ushered away to a safe house. And I read as a bride adorns herself with jewels. And I thought, Lord, I have those jewels in my closet. And when is my time? When am I ever going to get that? And he said, would you be willing as the bride of Christ to give that up. And I said, but that symbolizes my hope still at these, at this midpoint in my life that I, it wasn't midpoint yet. I've been waiting for years to be married. How old were you at that time? Gosh, how old was I? I was probably in my mid thirties. But as a maternity nurse that you mark the paper, the paperwork you mark at 35 is it's called advanced maternal age, which To lay people, they don't even use that term when you're 35, but to maternity nurses, there's a higher risk to both the mom and the baby if you go through a pregnancy at that age and beyond. And so that's in my head, and he just said, but you're my bride. Would you be willing to sell that symbol to you of hope in your closet Mm. and just trust me? And so I went back to my house, and I got those items, and I took them back to Nordstrom. (laughs) They were expensive, and it was a big amount of money. And then I said, now what, God? And he said, write that check and send it to your friend who's a missionary to the Muslim women. This friend of mine was originally from Pakistan. She came out of Islam into Christianity and then was a missionary back to the Muslim world. And so I sent a check to her organization, and a week later, her son called and he said, I don't know who you are, but the exact amount of your check is the exact amount of money that my mother was missing to fly to the Middle East. And she's the keynote speaker this week at a missionary conference to the Muslim, to women from all over the Muslim world. And so I said, okay, Lord, I didn't understand when you were asking me to give up that one 
symbol of hope in my closet that I would someday be married. But someday in heaven, I believe I will meet Muslim women that converted because of hearing this lady's story, the Christian missionary. And I didn't, how could I know as a nurse Christian in San Diego in my 30s that there would be, I don't know those women in the Middle East, but God does. And he asked me, would I be willing, would I be willing to trust him that what I was holding on to for hope to be married someday, that that wasn't the key to getting married someday. It was trusting him. Trusting him is the key to getting through being single. I didn't even plan to say that, but that just, yeah. Yeah. It's a perfect segue because I wanted to dive into some deeper questions. And Mm -hmm. in that story, and that I think is such a powerful idea to start with, is this concept of hope and the longing and the waiting. And I think that's something, just a conversation two days ago, I had someone confront me with being okay with being single, not in the sense of being okay with being single now and enjoying what I get to enjoy as a single person, but letting go, right, of this concept of getting married, having a family, and letting that go. And I just, I felt so much resistance of no, like, there's no way, like, that's not. And I think the way you said it is like that symbol of hope. I don't think God wants us to dash our hopes into because sometimes that's how I feel when I'm alone and, and, and wrestling with God, so to say. It's I have to crush these hopes because that's never going to happen and get rid of that thing because it symbolizes something that I have to get past. And I think it's more like our illusion of control where it's like, this was my hope that I was holding on to. And mm-hmm. you said it so beautifully, like, God was inviting you to trust him. Mm-hmm. And it's similar to one story that's always meant a lot to me in my singleness is this concept of Abraham and Isaac and how mm-hmm. Abraham was like waiting on this promise. Now, I don't have a direct promise from the Lord that I'm going to be married. <laughs> so I can't even pretend to be in the same shoes as Abraham because he had a direct promise from the Lord that he was going to have these descendants. But even in that, God didn't tell Abraham how it was going to come. Mm -hmm. So even though he's getting further and further in years, and as you read the story, it's like over a course of time, it uses these terminologies of like, how long was that waiting? God gave this promise. And I've, I know you can look up the exact amount of years, but it's a long Mm -hmm. time until there's finally this hope, right? And this answer to the promise, which is Isaac. And then God goes, hey, go sacrifice Isaac. It's almost like those pearls and those jewelry is like, for you, that was, I can imagine being Abraham and all of just scientific, biological understanding of how God's going to give me children is this son that's miraculously come, right? They've already, you said the story about Hagar, Mm -hmm. where Sarah was like, we're too old, have a baby through my maidservant, Mm -hmm. and we're going to have our lady of Zare. They try to take control and do it their way, and they already failed at that. And this Mm -hmm. is like seemingly God's way, and God's still asking. But I think what's beautiful about it is like God doesn't actually make Abraham kill Isaac. Right. He doesn't want us to dash our hopes and dreams and... He's not just trying to steal that from us, but it's like you said, that's the trust. And I wish I knew that exact term that God says is now I know mm-hmm. I can trust you. It's like mm-hmm. the gist of his response. Mm-hmm. And, and then there was a ram and the mm-hmm. caught in the thicket. 
And uh, yeah, that's such a powerful image of how he asked you not to give up, not to lose hope, but to trust. Yeah. And I just saw, I've seen that a lot looking back where, oh God, you had a bigger purpose in mind. And I didn't always even just see it as a trust opportunity, but because there was times when I actually would get frustrated with God and not trust Him and feel like it's taking all of my energy, God, to not become bitter as a Christian single woman. And people just think, oh, you have all the freedoms of being single. And I thought, I have all the question marks hanging. You could settle that question in your 20s, who you were going to marry. And I'm in my 40s, 50s, and still don't know. And it it took a lot of effort to not let my life be directed by that lingering question mark. But it was always there. But I overcame it with a hope, like you said, hope. And I just said, God, some people just would say to me, you're too focused on that. Nobody's going to come along because you're just, you're so desperate. And They say that all the time. I know. <laughs> and so I just wanted to say, that's not true. I'm not desperate. I have a good job. I have a lot of friends. I enjoy working out, so I'm fit. I just, I have a lot of things in my life. And then it was like, you're, you're too, uh, you're too picky. And I'm like, I've dated double PhDs. I've dated men that work paycheck to paycheck. I've dated men that are black, that are white, that are Hispanic. I don't limit myself to a class, to an ethnicity. I dated divorced men, divorced men with children, single men never married. And so I, I didn't feel like I was limiting my who I was looking for. You alluded to that earlier, like you weren't, it's no perfect person we're looking for. It's just, I wanted God's choice. And it was hard for me to discern that because I dated a lot of Christian men. But when that didn't work out or when I would get very hurt, because my expect, I would be kept more hurt when Christian men didn't work out because my expectations were higher. This is who I'm waiting for. And so my expectations were not in an income, not in an education level, not in an ethnicity, but just in, are you pursuing God? Because that's who I want to commit my life to. Greg, I really did want to be married, but I did want to be a missionary. And all of the efforts I was making towards getting to the mission field kept falling through. Then I was really angry at God. Okay, I'm not married. I always wanted to be. You put that desire in my heart, God. You put the desire in my heart as a high school girl to want to be a missionary. And it's just never panned out. So I've always had to pour into other people's lives, other families, since I didn't have a family, other missionaries, since I wasn't the missionary myself. And God just said to me, Janet, I've brought the peoples of the world to the hospitals in San Diego, and you are a missionary. Mm. That's where you are. You shine your light there. I moved into a gang neighborhood. He said, shine your light there. And so all of that, when I met Greg, 
I was torn between, no, I'm really, I've been letting go of the things of this world mm. to move to the Middle East. And so I was like, oh, but this man, Greg, loves God and is serving him and is supportive of missionaries. <laughs> and so I, it was confusing to me. But yeah, Pastor George helped me with that. And so here I am. Wow. Yeah. And you hit on it a bit, but I had a few questions just as someone in that season of life where it's like, it can be exhausting, it's I imagine, exa for listeners. And just hearing your story, it's like you witnessed families start mm -hmm. over and over again. And although on one end of the spectrum, I feel like maybe there was a piece of grace in that where you got to experience that joy. That was, that was exactly like it, yes. But on the other end, but again, I think a lot of times God presents us with these things and we still have the choice of how we're going to receive it. Mm -hmm. I could totally see how you could have turned and had a different perspective on that and just got more and more bitter of why are all these other people doing this mm -hmm. and not me mm -hmm. when God's trying to say, hey, Janet, I'm trying to get you to experience this joy. Right. You know, here's a gift, here's a gift. Right. And I can see... And I don't know if this was, you had seasons like this, but I can mm -hmm. totally see someone being in those exact same circumstances and just getting so angry and bitter mm -hmm. about when is it my turn. Mm -hmm. And I did feel that, but I think I felt that more when people that had what I longed for tried to convince me that my life was better just as it was. And so, for instance, nurses at work, when I would talk about wanting to be married, they'd be like, oh, no, be thankful you're not. It's too much work, or it's too this or that, or I never get to sit down and read a good book anymore. Just be thankful for your singlehood. And also, I never said this to anybody, but in my mind, when I heard that from them, I would think, okay, you just told me you're not in a happy marriage. That's what your words say to me. Yeah, They're not comforting me in my singlehood or my longing. They're just telling me, they're just revealing that you're not happy as a married lady. Yeah, I've learned a lot of things that didn't help me. I've tried to use now as a married person that I try to be careful not to say that. And even as an older single woman, I tried to be careful not to say the hurtful things to single men and women Yeah, because they didn't help me. So Yeah, and it's hard because you could say the perfect thing and they can receive it yeah. the wrong way. You could say the worst thing and they could be encouraged, but... <laughs> I guess we talked about this before the podcast, but that's one thing I've been wrestling with recently too, is it's just, I've been reflecting and preparing for this is how are you able to stay patient? What were you holding out for? Why did you not compromise? Cause that's been the challenge. It's clear hearing your story that it wasn't that you didn't have the ability mm -hmm. to get married. Mm -hmm. You right. could have decided with, a number of men, it sounded like, right, and times that you'd been proposed to and mm -hmm. engaged and things like that, where if marriage was the end goal, if I just wanted to get a ring, right, right, like you could have achieved that, you could have mm -hmm. taken control and done it, but clearly there was something else, some priority, something that God was showing you that, like you said earlier, you hinted at, I wanted what God had for me. I'd love to hear more of that for the singles out there that. Like you said, when people ask why, or they say things about your standards are too high, or mm -hmm. maybe you're just not getting out there, or right, like you said earlier, those. man, if you just 
you know what you need to do, Peter? I was like, as soon as you let go of your need to be married, then they're just going to walk right into your life. uh, I heard that so much. And you hear all these things. That's just (laughs) one example of hundreds. Mm -hmm. But it's like everyone takes you on as their little project of like, let's get this guy married. Mm -hmm. Let's get this girl married in church. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of singles in church feel that, especially there's that like, college is different but once you're out of college and you're not like there's the men's ministries there's the couples ministries there's this weird gap of Mm -hmm. like single adulthood Mm -hmm. especially when you get into things like 30s and even more in 40s but you all the way through your 50s can you share some insight with us of how you can just i know for myself i know for people that i minister to it's sometimes you just get tired and you're like why am i waiting is this even worth it to keep holding out like why don't i get what i'm wanting and Mm -hmm. end this loneliness Mm -hmm. right if that's a problem to be fixed there are people who are single right now listening to this Mm -hmm. that they could solve that issue Mm -hmm. they could get married but is that really what they want so i guess for you i think god just gave me the wisdom i don't know as i had patience but he just gave me the wisdom to see What I really in my heart of heart want Mm. is to live daily life with a man who will be reaching toward God with me. And that's the central focus of his life. And if it's not, then we're going to actually be turned in two different directions, even as we link our lives together. Because I knew that I wanted to pursue God, whatever that looked like. And if I married any of these men that had asked me to marry them, um, or at least were talking about it, if I didn't see in their life that they were putting God first, then I knew ultimately we might not last Mm. because I'm going to keep pursuing God. And if they're not, we'll grow further apart instead of more together. Wow. And so somehow God just in His grace gave me the wisdom to see that. I tried all different things. When the Christian men weren't working out, then I would date non-Christian men. And then God would show me the foolishness of that. (laughs) They're not about what you're about. They might have other things in common, but they don't have that. And, And that was the core of my parents' marriage and the core of my life. And so I didn't want to link my life to somebody who wasn't pursuing God. And even there was times when I would only go to church and not pursue God the other six days of the week. Mm. And I I couldn't say it was because I was an immature Christian. I was very mature. I was just very hurt and very disappointed. And I just had hurt too much to keep reading my Bible and keep praying and keep being disappointed. But nonetheless, I kept just talking to God like, I'm not giving up on this hope. This is this is the hope of my life. And I'm going to serve you and use the gifts you've given me and use the money you've given me. And if I don't have my own children like to use this money for, then I'm going to help other women mm-hmm. and their children. And there was a nurse aide one year, and she was really upset because she was a single mom. And her she didn't make very much money as a nurse aide, but her daughter was invited to the prom, and there was no money for a prom dress. So I just... When I found that out, I wrote her a check, and I said, you've never met your daughter, but if I had a daughter mm-hmm. and was experiencing your pain, it would be awful. And so I think God turned the pain and loneliness and longing of my life into how can I help other people 
have their longings come to fulfillment. And so another example of that was I was going to this Spanish-speaking church, and half the people came from Mexico, from below the border, to come to church. And so somebody knew, our pastor knew of a family below on the other side of the border whose baby had been born with hydrocephalus, which is instead of brain matter, there's just a lot of fluid. And so it's not compatible with life. And her baby was going to die anyway. And as a maternity nurse, I knew that. But they were going to, as a family in Tijuana, have to come up with money for their baby to be admitted to the neonatal intensive care unit. And if they didn't come up with the money, then their baby was just not going to get the care needed. So I wrote a $10,000 check to my pastor and just said, if that were my baby, I would be heartbroken that Mm. for lack of money, my baby's going to die. To me, that was nothing to write a $10,000. I mean, it was because I didn't have a lot of money, but I didn't need that $10,000. Yeah, for a down payment someday on a house. But yeah, do you know what I mean? The someday, yep. someday, the someday thing. And I'm like, no, this baby's going to die this week. But I want that mom not to die, have her baby die with mom full of guilt, but with knowing she'd done everything she could to save her baby's life. And so I've never met that lady or that baby, but. I hope someday in heaven I will. And just a lot of things looking back where God said, I used you. You know, the comfort that he comfort, like when we're told in Corinthians, comfort others with the comfort with which you've been comforted by God. If I want a God to comfort me in my loneliness and my pain and my unfulfilled longings, then why not be willing to help fulfill other people's longings while I had the means. And God gave me the means. And that was one way I could look back and wow. say, if I weren't single, I couldn't just write a $10,000 check. I'm sure yeah. my husband and I would have needs. <laughs> I'm thankful for that, Janet, because that connects a lot of the dots in my heart too, mm-hmm. where like there have been times over the years where I've been able to do things and be places go. You know, for me, a lot of times it's the flexibility and the travel and I get to be places and do things mm-hmm. and Although some people say the same thing, enjoy it. Like we don't get to do it. There's so many times that I've been able to invest into things and give and be not just financially, but physically present Mm -hmm. with my time and my energy to things that Mm -hmm. as a married person, as someone with a family, I just just wouldn't be a reality. And I've noticed that where there's that sense of fulfillment where God's like, Hey, like you've got all these tools that he can use mm-hmm. for his kingdom. Right. And there's a specific tool over here that like the singles shelf <laughs> that uh, can play a role in his kingdom mm-hmm. that no other instrument of his can. Right. And he'll point out, see how I used you there? Mm-hmm. No one else could have done that the way you did. Right. And it's specifically because of this thing that's really the source of your pain and suffering. And this thing that you're just dying to get out of. And just clawing, (laughs) treading water like I'm drowning in this Mm -hmm. loneliness and Mm -hmm. like, why, Lord, why, why, why? There's purpose here. So, And something I want to point out in that purpose of, yes, God is doing something bigger. And you and I both, when we talk about the really hard season of loneliness, I had tons of friends. It's not that I didn't have friends. It's not that I wasn't extroverted and loving being out and about. You have a lot of friends. Yeah. You have the ability to be out and about. It's not, we don't, are not equating loneliness to sitting in a one bedroom 
housing situation somewhere and just shriveling up. That's not what loneliness is. You can be in the midst of a party and in the midst of having fun, but still feel lonely. said throughout the whole there's some things that you've been sharing about the purpose Mm -hmm. the trust Mm -hmm. being able to I just love that perspective difference from being a nurse and getting more and more bitter that when's my time gonna come Mm -hmm. to choosing as a single person your situation will look completely different than Janet's but she could see oh this is a gift that God's Mm -hmm. giving me the opportunity Mm -hmm. to experience this taste of what my heart is longing for even though I don't have that in my own life, what would be some other things you'd share for those that are in that space right now, or maybe just went through a, it's just like singles cover so many things. There's like people that got rejected, just Mm -hmm. came out of a relationship, Mm -hmm. trying to get over their ex, people Mm -hmm. who are in the midst of a divorce and Mm -hmm. now they're single and never thought they would be single again. But I think that feeling Mm -hmm. of being left aside or when's my time, that's Mm -hmm. like a common feeling for all I of us. I think what really helps me most, and I can't speak to all singles, or I can't speak to male yeah. singles because I'm a female single, but or I was, but that being in community helps. And I was always in church my whole life, so I had a church community. But more than just knowing people at church, it was the people that included me in, and you mentioned this earlier, into their family. Mm. Situation. So, like, Mother's Day was really hard for me as I didn't have any of my own children. Wow. And they yeah. always made me work Mother's Day because the other nurses that were maternity nurses, they really deserve to be home with their yeah, kids. Wow. And you don't have kids. So, of course, you're the logical person to come <laughs> deliver babies on Mother's Day. Yes, oh. step into your agony. And <laughs> yeah, wow. So, for me, what really helped was there were three of my girlfriends. Um, one was Jewish, not even part of church. And one was an old nursing boss who God brought back into my life. And then another was a Christian friend at church who the three of them included me in their family. So, on Mother's Days, if I didn't have to work, they would invite me to their Mother's Day celebration. My Jewish girlfriend, she had her children from when they could talk, call me Aunt Janet, so that I felt like she was sharing her very children with me. Not just her life, but her very children, because she knew I didn't have any. And, And to this day, I know those girls, and they're women now, and they still call me Aunt Janet, and that blesses me. But just being invited to, like, Family holidays, 4th of July barbecues, Christmas, Easter. But even the bigger thing for me as a female single was being invited to a Mother's Day event because I didn't want to just go sit home in a room by myself on Mother's Day. So that really helped. And then the other thing is whether you have Christian friends or non-Christian friends, for them to listen without telling you what you're doing wrong. Yeah. So I would say to those of us in our church and beyond, if you have single friends, listen, but be very slow to give advice. And I would only give advice if asked. Yeah. And I wouldn't say you're doing this wrong, or you need to make a list of what you're looking for, or you need to pray more, or you need to let go of your expectation and just be happy, or you need to just embrace the gift of singlehood, or just... 
all of those things just deepened my pain. And mm. so I would say listen to people without giving advice. I would say pray for people. Like Greg and I pray for you, and we don't even have to be in touch with you, but we just trust that God listens to our prayers for you. And if there's something he wants us to say to you or to any other single we're praying for, then he'll bring the scripture. And then when we speak that, it becomes life-giving instead of life-condemning yeah. because it comes from God. Wow. But you have to pray first and let the Holy Spirit tell you as a person who has singles in your life, this is a word that you don't know will mean something to them, but I'm God and I know it will mean something to them. Wow. So... When you get an opportunity, share this verse that you prayed for, that I gave to you to pray for them. So powerful, Janet. And I wanted to speak the other thing you said about listening without giving advice is just as a single person, when you give advice, it feels like you're solving a problem and it points to, I have a problem and that's how it feels. Mm -hmm. And so speaking to the non-singles in the church I love what you said, Janet, where it's just listen, mm -hmm. just ask, don't try to solve the problem, mm -hmm. have the compassion, validate the feelings, mm -hmm. offer love, but don't advise right? unless asked. Unless asked. And then for singles. But may I oh, add yeah, for ahead. people that aren't single, if what helped me the most was the very few people that would say, I'm sorry for your pain or I'm sorry for your loneliness. Or just, I'm sorry. It sounds like that's really hard. That feels so loving to me because it's like, you get me. You're entering into my pain. I, it is hard. I do feel lonely. And the fact that you're sorry for that means, to me, it meant you love me and you see me. And so I try really hard to just, like, less is more sometimes. Yeah, making me cry right now. I know. <laughs> yeah, it's really powerful. And as a single person, I want to say that it's um, important to realize that your pain is okay. Mm -hmm. I've had seasons where I felt a lot of guilt and shame, being like, why am I making such a big deal out of this? People are going through divorces, and people are having family members die, and you're always comparing pain. Pain's all subjective, mm -hmm. and it's like, in our singleness, it's okay if you're suffering, to allow yourself to suffer right. and to share that and that burden, not just with others, but with God mm -hmm. and cry out. Yes. And I think that's why it says in the Bible, weep with those who weep. It's okay to weep, but it also says to rejoice with those who rejoice. So it's easy to rejoice when others are rejoicing. It's harder to weep when other people are weeping. It is. And so I think that's something that I've learned we may not have had the same experience of what that person is ex has that's causing weeping in them, but we can weep with them. And I guess that's why I like to say to people, I'm sorry. Like I've never been pregnant, so I've never lost a baby, but I've lost the dream of having become pregnant at some point yeah. in my life. I've lost the dream of delivering new life out of my body. I've and like lost your parents being at your wedding. Yes. And but when other people are experiencing loss, I've experienced so much in different ways, lost dreams. Yeah. That what their lost dream looks like, I can enter into that pain and say, I'm sorry. And yeah, I think that for singles 
try to find that place where people don't try to fix your pain, but are they have the capacity to enter into it with you. And any other final thoughts? Because I'd love for you to close in prayer, but any final things for the singles, the church, the body before we close this out? I think we've already said this, but one thing that I wanted to bring out was that we can be, as a single person, a mature Christian ourselves, but it's important, again, community and communicating to a support group, not just other singles, but I guess married people, that I need some accountability here, like just even the physical temptations yeah. of singlehood. But to be able to s- just share the difficult things. And and then what will follow that naturally is if they're entering into your difficulties, then when the rejoicing comes, they're going to be your biggest cheerleader yeah. and rejoicing with you. So, yeah, definitely community is what helps. I'd love for you just to close this out with a word of encouragement. Okay. Father God, thank you that you love us so much, and it's really true that you never leave us nor forsake us, and that you love us so much. The love you've lavished upon us is that we become children of God, and so we thank you for that. We know that you both are uh, pain and our joy, and Lord, so I, I ask that you would, for each one out there listening, whether they're married or single, whoever's experiencing a need for someone else to understand their situation, I pray that you would bring along, yeah, a godly support, someone who's not just bringing their human compassion and their human understanding and their human advice, but that it would come straight from heaven. God, would you open up the windows of heaven and would you pour out into all of us just your love that we can give it away as we have freely received so we would freely give and lord we all just need more wisdom about how to come alongside and we ask that somebody that prayed for me before i sat down with peter just said if there's even just one person that needs to hear something today and so lord for that one i just think of like the the parable about leaving the shepherd leaving the 99 to go find that one was important And the group wasn't complete until that one was back in it. And so, Father, may may we all just understand that you see us individually and we're important, Jesus, because you give us identity. And so we thank you for that and we bless your holy name.